If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to Gold Against Many. I'm Mike Golick. I'm Jessica Smetana. Welcome all to yet another edition of Golick and Smetty. I am Mike Golick Sr. She is Jess Smetana. And boy, Jess, uh, even though football is getting ready to start NFL and college, there is a, a lot to talk about. We're going to get into the, the women's U.S. national team, which unfortunately is out of the World Cup. But we have college expansion to go through. Now Cal and Stanford talking to the ACC. Who knows what may happen by the time this show is over. We're also going to talk to Kalen DeBoer, the head coach at University of Washington, whose first year last year in the Pac-12 was an incredible year, and now it's the last year of the Pac-12. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't, it, it's, it's wild. I mean, you almost have to just wait five minutes, and then something else has changed in the world of college football. It is crazy, Mike. And the season is starting in two weeks, and already uh, I there's been so much news that's happened, and we haven't even played a game yet. So, yeah. So we'll we <laughs> will get to all of that, but you know, let's start with the with the World Cup and the U.S. Women's National Team out uh, as early as they ever have out in the quarters, losing to Sweden on penalty kicks. Uh, we'll get into the game, but man. I'll tell you what, Jess, I have never seen more vitriol and hatred <laughs> toward a team that has given us so much to cheer about. And certainly, and listen, we, we, we know that there are players, and Megan Rapinoe is the one that's getting a whole lot of this thrown at, thrown at her. You know, and these women are proud to be activists as well as soccer players, and they brought us incredible joy in a couple of World Cups uh, championships in a row. But I, 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 that's probably outside of the loss, which we can talk about on the, the, the field where their coach is going to be gone, I think for sure. But, but what initially hit me just off the field about this team and how they were just getting destroyed by people really blew my mind. I know. I think anyone that has been following this team for a long time, though, totally expected this to happen. This has been a moment that a lot of the U.S. Women's National Team haters have been waiting to pounce on for years. Um, but I really, I really don't want to let all of those weirdos get to decide what the narrative is going to be after this, because as much hate as they are getting, which is a lot of hate, I think there's I've seen so much support, too, from fans that are uh, incredibly proud of this team. Yeah. Going out in the round of 16 in the World Cup is never it's it's a failure of this team. And it's never going to be something that we're going to say, well, at least they at least they uh, came in second in their group. Like At least they made it to Ah. the round of 16. That is not what any U.S. Women's National Team fan expects of that team. We have the highest expectations for them always to go in there and win. Um, that being said, I, they were never going to win three in a row. It's never been done. It may never happen. It is incredibly difficult to do. And there's been so much talk about how the world has now caught up to the U.S. Yeah. women's national team. And I think some of that is true. And I also think that as hard as it is for us as Americans to stomach, international women's soccer does not revolve around the U.S., even though they're now out of this tournament, this tournament has been a resounding success for women's soccer and for all of the other teams that are still in this tournament. I really hope people continue to watch. I know that the time zones are going to get trickier as the rest of the tournament goes on. There's really not a lot on uh, in the Eastern time zone, especially. Um, But 
it has exceeded FIFA's expectations for ticket sales. The ratings have been solid when the U.S. women's national team has been playing in, you know, somewhat normal American hours. Um, I really, really hope people continue to follow what's going on. And I think if there is a silver lining, maybe this is a really good wake-up call because there do need to be changes. There need to be, whether it's you think it's the manager, whether you think it's the way that the U.S. national team uh, players come together at, through the youth ranks up until the professional ranks. There's a lot of criticism about how our youth soccer is run. I think a lot of that is valid and fair, and maybe this will be a good wake-up call and things will be a little different moving forward, but we will wait and see. So I, I think the people that are going to be the most bummed outside of the players are going to be Fox because they're going to be hurting for ratings now because these games were already on at tough times, and now the team we in America want to watch the most is out. I hope people continue to watch it, uh, but you know it's going to be a tougher ask now that our women are out of it. Before I get on to the field, do you find any truth at all to anything that went on off the field from you know people, you know the activism that's been going on, the people have wanted to get their own brand going, whatever, whatever off-field criticisms you heard, do you give any of them? you know, any kind of credence? Well, I think a lot of the criticism of, when, especially when you talk about like the, the team caring more about building their brand and, and being selfish and toxic, that a lot of that's come from Carly Lloyd. And I think I would give it more credence if I heard it from other player, other former players of this team. But so many of the former players that I follow and watch, like uh, Abby Wambach and Christian Press and Tobin Heath and Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris, like, I haven't heard them say anything like that. And in fact, they have all given messages of positivity, especially as the, the team struggled through the group round, um, the group stage. So I, I don't know. I think it's hard to go off of one person's opinion when that person also, um, you know, has been someone that has had their own political disagreements with this team and the way that they've gone about um, trying to create change outside of soccer. And so when you see criticism from people that, and this is now, now I'm talking not about Carly Lloyd or the Fox broadcast, but people that um, work in the media that don't really follow the team, that don't watch the team outside of a World Cup cycle, and now they have a lot of things to say. Um, to me, it just, I, I don't want to, I don't really like want those people to be able to control what our point of view is about this team because. For some person, yeah, women fighting for equal pay, wow, that's a huge distraction. Yeah, for maybe. tens of thousands of fans, probably millions of fans, that's a reason why they're fans. That's a reason why they're inspirational to a lot of women, especially in this country. So maybe that's a turnoff for some guy that watches one game every four years. But that's also why you see people so invested in this team and why fans travel around across the across the globe to watch them play in these games and so and the, the other thing about like oh why are they smiling after they tie portugal because there's fans that traveled from america to watch them play and it's three in the morning back home and they're showing appreciation for that so there's so much like i think extra that's tied up into all of this yeah and to me, like, I don't really give a lot of it any credence to answer your question. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the activists and the equal pay and those kind of things, I don't think that affects the game at all. We're in an age now where people trying to build their brand is looked at at times as a distraction, right? But this is the era we're in. We see it in all sports. And I think part of it, and you tell me right or wrong, is that we just came off two World Cup titles. And listen, those women all had commercials. Those women all had their brands, right? But they had one. They had hardware to show for it, and they became stars. This outside of, you know, Megan Rapinoe and Kelly O'Hara and Alex Morgan and Julie Ertz, a lot of new women out there who hadn't gotten that medal yet, hadn't gotten that, you know, that win yet, that, that, that said, your champ, we were sure we were ranked number one in the world, but they didn't have the hardware, but they were branding like they were the best, even though we were, we were ranked number one. So I think people just thought maybe it's a little premature that they start jumping on all of this before they won anything. 
And I think that that is a really tough argument to swallow in a sport where every single player on that team is underpaid. Whether at the club level, the international level, their salaries are not as high as what their popularity level is in this country, right? So if Trinity Rodman wants to do a commercial, even though she hasn't won a World Cup yet, she should go and make all of the money she can while she's a marketable star on this team. So I find that really difficult to swallow. I find that to be really um, an adjacent argument to a lot of the things we hear from people that criticize athletes that make NIL deals in college and, you know, oh, like, you know, this is this is you we want you to do all these things and and make money because the schools don't want to pay you but don't do too much because now it's a distraction right, so right. and and i think the other thing that that point is missing is that this team could have won a world cup this was a talented team yeah. Yeah. this to me i think we should maybe transition out to talk more about on the field yes they've yes. had the pieces to win a world cup and what was so frustrating was that there were red flags from the Vietnam game onwards, and fans were waiting to see Vladko Andonovsky make a change, the coach make a change, whether it was to the starting 11, whether it was to who he was subbing in and out, um, whether it was to the formation. They didn't look right going into that Vietnam game. And then especially when you come off the, the Netherlands game, to not make any substantial changes for the final game of the group stage, which you need to win to win the group. They needed to beat Portugal. That was their worst game of the tournament. They came out flat. They didn't make any of those changes. They tied 0-0, could not score a goal. Yep. And that was why they ended up playing a really tough Swedish team in the, uh, the group of 16. So the round of 16. And so losing to Sweden, and first of all, they played their best game of the tournament against yes, Sweden, they right? Yes, they did. They finally, yes. they, he made a couple changes on defense. They, he moved a couple players f- more forward. He put in Lynn Williams finally. Um, they looked like a much more cohesive team. They held their shape better. They were passing really, really well. They just couldn't finish any chances. And once you get to PKs, like, it's PKs. It's well, the cruelest part of soccer. You make your PKs or you don't make your PKs. It sucks. Everyone hates penalty kicks. Yep. And then he made changes at the end of extra time to put in two players who ended up kicking penalty kicks. One, Christy Mewis made hers. She Kelly made hers, missed yeah. hers. But right. they're coming in cold and right. kicking penalty right. kicks in a World Cup knockout yeah. round match, having gotten no minutes in the game. So I think there are so many reasons to criticize the way that this team was constructed and why they played the way they played. I don't think any of those criticisms need to be uh, from the angle of like, oh, they shouldn't have fought for equal pay. Oh, they shouldn't be doing commercial campaigns. Oh, they shouldn't be dancing on TikTok before a match. Guess what? Other teams do that too. <laughs> Listen, this all started just in the first game, Vietnam, Vietnam game, when they played the national anthem and everybody started complaining for oh any God. woman that yes. didn't have their hand over their heart and wasn't singing. You go to any sporting event and the athletes, go scan the sideline of an NFL game and start counting the players. I never put my hand over my heart, and sometimes I sang, sometimes I didn't, and I love this country. To sit there and put on them that you better have your hand over your heart and you better sing is one of the stupidest freaking things I've ever heard of in my life. If you want to get to the kneeling part, that's fine. People have their, thing, uh, their, their opinions on that. But going back to the field, I will firmly admit that I don't know enough about soccer to sit there and analyze too much of it. Uh, one thing, uh, you know, definitely that goalie from Sweden, she stood on her head. I mean, she that was, that was, was, that was like a, a hockey goalie in the NHL finals. <laughs> you get a goalie that stands on their head. And what a difference it can make. She made 11 saves in this game because we had some shots. We could have had some better shots, but we had some decent shots, and she did a great job. So let's give her credit for that. I do think uh, Andonovsky is going to be gone. Uh, what they, The bronze at the last Olympics, the they worst ever finish here. His contract's up lost, at the end of the year. three friendlies in a row. Yeah, they almost yeah. lost a fourth in a row, which would have been a, yeah. a record, not the kind of record you want. No, you want. <laughs> his, his contract is up at the end of this year, and he'll probably be, I think he'll be let go before that. I don't think there's any doubt that there's going to be a change there. And then, and then on the field, you mentioned it. They, they, were, they did play their best game. They had shots. But they couldn't, as, as each player said, you got to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. And I was ready to come on and talk about this, even if they won on PKs. I hate it. 
I hate the PKs. I am always one that says, play the game. And, and I forgot who, what her name was, who was doing the analyst, with the analyst for the game. She said the same thing. Her words were, play on, man. You know, and, and I agree with that. And I get it. It's a lot of soccer. But, I mean, their next game wasn't until next Friday. I mean, yeah. it's not like you don't have a ton of time off. I am just a firm believer in playing the game because it goes to penalty kicks and you throw your hands in there, you have no idea. Listen, our goalie, she made a great save and then she's kicked, then she had a PK kick. Which was kick, crazy. Which, which was, was incredible. Crazy. But I, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I, now I, I can't sit here and say I've seen a lot of it, but I, I can't believe we had three. Rapino, O'Hara, and uh, Sophie, Sophia Smith, Smith yeah. all missing the net. I mean, that to me just blew my mind. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, and it's, it's hard, too, because Meg, I think Megan Rapino summed it up best after the game when she said, like, this is the other side of the beautiful game. Sometimes it's incredibly cruel. She is money in set pieces and PKs. She has been throughout her career. And so for her to come in as a sub in that game, and she didn't do very well on set pieces, and then she missed her penalty kick, I mean, it's heartbreaking. I'm sure it's something that she's going to remember for the rest of her life, and she's going to beat herself up over. And she shouldn't because she's had an amazing career. She is the reason that they won two World Cups in a row. She is the reason that, not the only reason, but a big part of the reason that they won their fight for equal pay. She is a really, really impressive, inspiring person. And I, I feel terribly for the amount of vitriol and hate that is being spewed at her. I, I have nothing but good things to say about her and what she means to fans of this team and to soccer players around the world. So yeah, it sucks. Penalty kicks absolutely suck. That's why it's so important to finish those yeah. chances during the yeah. game. And they had some, like you said, they had good chances. They didn't have great chances, but that's one of the things that they need to wake up and think, how are we going to finish those chances moving forward? Obviously, two of their better scorers were out for this tournament. Right, Mallory Swanson right. and Katarina Macario probably would have played and started for this team or at least, you know, been able to score some goals for this team. They did not score a lot. That is something that they need to focus on moving forward. Um, but yeah, overall, just an incredibly frustrating game. And despite all of those things, they still could have won it. They still were in there until the last PK because that is the nature of penalty kicks and how random and stupid they are. And it really was just so frustrating and such a terrible way for this team to go out of the tournament. Yep. So they are out uh, the quickest they've ever been out of a World Cup. But you know what we look forward to next summer in Paris that they get the gold uh, then. So we will, we will wait and see on that. Uh, but coming up next, man, college football. <laughs> some changes are uh, coming, but also there's some good teams that are going to be on the field very soon. We got a chance to catch up with the University of Washington head coach, Kalen DeBoer. We'll talk to him next. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Coach. Um, boy, oh boy, I can't wait to talk about your team on the field because your team is absolutely stacked had a great year last year your first your your year at Washington now your second year ready to go but I mean it's been unbelievable what's going on in the landscape of college football especially the Pac-12 so I guess first we'll just start and what what are your overall thoughts on what's transpired in the last 24 48 hours yeah it's certainly been crazy and um you know I think the the piece that uh about it where really hasn't been crazy is it's really nothing you can control as a football coach. And so uh, be able to keep the focus on the team, be able to keep the focus on the staff and what we're doing day to day here as we start camp. Um, that's actually been pretty simple. Hasn't really been a lot of questions, even by the players. They're focused on the 2023 season. But, uh, you know, I know that uh, our administration, um, President Kausay, Jennifer Cohen, our AD, been working uh, extremely hard to, to make sure we're in a good spot moving forward here at UW. So one of the things that you can control is your recruiting pitch. So how immediately have you had to change that now that you're, 
you know, talking to players and, and college football coaches say, you know, you're always recruiting now in the, in the portal era, right? So how are you telling uh, your players and maybe pr- prospective players about what to expect now moving forward at Washington? Yeah, you never want to say it got easier uh, because I don't think that's the case. I think the recruiting piece is, is definitely hard and uh, complex uh, at times. But um, a lot of the things that were questions being asked of us uh, throughout the spring, throughout the summer with official visits, guys, especially in the 2024 class where it's coming down to that time where they make a decision. Um, you know, a lot of families sit in my office wondering, you know, what conference, like what's it look like? And uh, a lot of times my answer was just, uh, you know, talking them through and telling them what I know and, and uh, trying to get them uh, to be comfortable with the fact that at University of Washington and not to be saying this in a conceited or arrogant way, but we're at a great place. We're a place where academically, athletically, um, there's a lot of uh, great things that we have going for us. We're in a city that, um, you know, certainly has a great market and people are going to want our traditions and our history uh, of what we've done, not just in football, but all athletics, all sports, um, to be a part of their conference if things would ever fall through or not be uh, in a place that is favorable, you know, if the Pac-12 had some situation just like what happened. And so um, a lot of it was just uh, them trusting in us. And, uh, you know, it's opened up some new doors with some prospects, that's for sure, here in the last couple of days as well. So I I wonder a lot, Coach, about the process, because obviously players don't make this decision. Coaches don't make this decision. Hell, ADs don't make this decision. This This is university president. So how through this process were you kept in the loop of what was going on? Well, it really wasn't until late, you know, I, I think a lot of times it was fluctuating so much um, based on what I understand, you know, and how it seemed to be going day to day to where um, even something you were being told really didn't matter that much because the next day it was uh, going to be something different. And so, um, you know, I ask questions because I'm curious and you get asked questions by the coaching staff, but um, you know, and the answers were there, the best, uh, the best that could be answered. Uh, but as far as, um, you know, really any, any offering of, uh, information from my end, uh, other than, you know, you good with this, you good with that, uh, you know, from a head coach standpoint, <laughs> that was about all was my, my involvement was, uh, in this whole process. So you have Pete Thamel Twitter alerts set up on your phone too. That's that's the standard for all the coaches in the Pac-12. Got it. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I, I'm wondering then, you as a coach, listen, you've been in the coaching game for for a long time, so you understand. Okay, I have no control over this. I'm just preparing for the season. But you're dealing with 18 to 22, 23 year olds who live in the Twitter world and can be told, listen, there's nothing you can do about it, just keep focused. But how do you, how do you keep relating that to the players to say, really, there's nothing we can do and get your focus on the season? Yeah, I think we got, I think our guys trust us and we are open with them on a lot of things and, you know, just pretty much telling them, hey, when we have news uh, that matters, uh, we'll share it with you. Uh, I think a lot of the news was positive in our direction. I mean, again, like I said, you know, we're relevant in a lot of different conversations and, you know, just always, you know, felt comfortable. And a lot of it was timing and things like that, but felt comfortable that we would end up in a good favorable spot for UW and be able to do the things that provide resources for our student athletes. And so I think their mind was always at ease, not uh, concerned about having a home for us uh, as a university, as a football program, uh, as far as concerned, uh, concerning conferences and memberships. And so um, I think really it wasn't like the guys were, we're too concerned about, uh, you know, a lot of what was going on. Um, either way, I think they knew we were going to be fine. Okay, one more question about conference realignment before we talk about actual football a little bit. Um, one of the big talking points has been, you know, with all the West Coast teams joining the Big Ten, how is travel going to work? You know, it's a lot of strain on players to make trips across the country from the West Coast to the East Coast or Midwest. Is that something that you've thought about at all or something that concerns you moving forward? Well, I think every sport is different, right? And, um, you know, just the travel and the amount of games and trips you got to make from a football standpoint, you know, I certainly think uh, we'll be fine. Uh, You know, and I don't know anything about the schedule and what it's looking like, but I, you know, have to think that there'll be the West Coast games and then the rest of the conference schedule being split up home and away, um, you know, going across the country a little further. So, 
Um, you know, that being said, football doesn't play as big of a and long of a or as many trips and many games. So, you know, um, I think there's a plan uh, that, uh, you know, uh, where there's a home base and, and, you know, it doesn't mean it's perfect. Uh, but I do think that there are other resources now that become available um, because of our involvement in the Pac-10. I mean, a Pac-10. Yeah, the Big Ten. Um, I got to get that straight, right? Uh, because of the Big Ten here down the road in the years to come. So, um, you know, I, I, I feel fine about from a football's perspective. And I'm sure each sport, you know, at different schools, and a lot of them might be their geographical location, might think otherwise as well. Coach, there's not one number in the conferences that is correct from Pac-10 to Big Ten to Big 12. So don't worry about it. I still call it the it. Pac-10. Yeah. yeah. Everybody is, gonna, is going to make, make that mistake. And, and – Quite honestly, you kind of already have gotten used to at least one Big Ten travel. You had Michigan State out your place last year, and you go to them this year. So you get a little bit of that, even though it'll be more down the road. But let's let's talk about your team. You take over this team last year. You have Michael Penix Jr., who, who really just absolutely flew onto the scene. A couple of uh, wide receivers over 1,000 yards. Just Just talk about this offense, which was one of, if not the most explosive offense in the country last year. Yeah, super excited about what these guys uh, did last year and the momentum they continue to create for our team. Um, you know, just Michael uh, is a guy that uh, you're comfortable with in every moment. He's been through it. This is his sixth year playing college football, and he's been through the ups and downs uh, personally, individually in those big uh, big games. Um, you know, and so, you know, just seeing him have uh, the year he had last year was, was uh, even on a personal level, just really gratifying for me. Um, he's done a great job of leading, working alongside our offensive staff. Um, we have a lot of fun, you know, uh, the toys that are out there, right? The, <laughs> yeah. the receiving core. And then, you know, it always, always starts up front, though, with the offensive line. And uh, we got some, some tackles that are returning and a lot of interior guys with, uh, with a lot of experience under their belt uh, as well. So uh, we're excited about this year. And, and uh, you know, they might feel a little pressure to try to, do what they did a, a year ago, but um, just do their thing. You know, they're more than capable and um, their work supports the goals that they have and they're pretty lofty. So uh, aside from Michael Penix, there's a handful of other really, really great quarterbacks in the Pac-12 this year. It's It's been dubbed the, the, the conference this year to watch quarterback play and your team's playing a, a handful of them. You're playing Caleb Williams this year, uh, Bo Nix, Cam Rising, Cam Ward. Uh, you don't have to like rank which ones you think are going to be the most difficult test for, you know, your defense and, and matchups for you, but who are you kind of, what, which one do you have circled on the schedule that you're, you know, you think might give you the most trouble this year? Yeah. I mean, this is the honest truth. We uh, had our first, you know, meeting uh, offensive, uh, offensively, defensively, and as a team um, before we even had our practice. Right. And uh, you know, the defense showed uh, nine clips, and it was nine different quarterbacks in the league that are making these stellar plays. And all of them were with their legs. We know about them as passers, but all of them made them with their legs and, um, you know, 70, 80 yard touchdown runs. Uh, so it isn't just one. And, uh, you know, the one that's going to be the most important is the next game. And I know that's coach speak and you want something a little bit stronger, but, uh, I mean, we really, the, the league is full of these quarterbacks and, you know, even some of our non-conference games, um, you know, are going to have quarterbacks that are really athletic too. So we got our hands full each and every week. Um, it's going to be a fun uh, season from a fan's perspective because uh, there'll be some, uh, you know, offenses that are rolling up and down the field, you know, throughout the course of the year. You, you could have just taken the easy out and said Caleb Williams. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Coach, you're talking to two Notre Dame grads here, and it was Caleb Williams' legs that really, really hurt Notre Dame uh, <laughs> last year. So there, there are some definitely uh, some ballers in that conference. So on that note, let's go to your defense. I know you got a couple of big-time pass rushers on the edges, but you guys did – I know toward the end of the season you started giving up less points, but you were giving up points. I mean, you were a team that was basically outscoring – your opponents, you know, 40-something, 30-something. You know, they were higher-scoring games. How – and I know you have co-defensive coordinators working. How How is it working now? What, what's the plan to obviously have less scoring against you? Yeah, just uh, taking the next step. And, um, you know, our league, the scoring was up just in general. You know, uh, I think 
six teams uh, scored more points last year offensively in the league than the top team did the year before or the number two team did the year before. So just again, with all those quarterbacks, there's going to be um, better offenses. But um, I just really feel we've taken that next step. I think we got a lot more banked reps um, because of the injuries that hit us at certain positions, um, allowing us to have to grow up. And by the end of the year, as you said, you know, I thought we were playing some pretty solid defense um, consistently in November and into the bowl game. So I'm excited about that step uh, we're taking. It all starts up, starts up front, as you know, and uh, with the edge rushers combined with a, a lot of um, experience now that's growing uh, in the middle there. Um, and our linebacking core, I think, is ramped up on another level from where it was as well. Um, I think all the positions as a collective uh, coming together you know, I think we'll be a much different football defense or much different football team in regards to our defense. Yeah, and then one more on the offensive side. We talked about the weapons uh, that you have, and you mentioned the, the, the two cornerstone tackles back. But as we know, a quarterback hates pressure up the gut, so you're, you're, you're replacing the interior of that offensive line. Do, did you have guys that got some time and at least had yeah. some experience there? Yeah, earlier last year, the uh, first four games, uh, we had some injuries up front. Uh, and uh, a guy like Nate Kaleppo um, started really those first four games. And he, you know, comes back as a guy we have so much trust in. We rotated him in throughout the season on possessions just because we, we knew he needed those reps and we knew we could trust him. Uh, so, you know, he'll, he'll be anchoring down a position. Mateo Maley is a guy that's been in our program and, will you know, been working at center pretty much all spring and here through the first four practices at camp. Uh, along with Julius Bulow. And those guys, again, are all, you know, upperclassmen, um, you know, maybe not in their last year, depending on how you look at it with COVID. But uh, they, uh, they, they're they guys that know football, uh, what it takes to, to be successful. Um, our leaders on our football team are ready. And so, uh, you know, we feel comfortable with where we're at. And there's also some younger guys uh, in there right in the mix uh, competing for those spots as well. So, Coach, you're 11-2 and two last year. You have two losses back-to-back -back after four in a row. Then you go on a tear the rest of the year. You're set up again this year. What's the goal this year? Well, yeah, I know there's some lofty goals that our pl players certainly talk with uh, media about and, you know, get asked the questions about championships. And we certainly feel like we're a championship-caliber team. And you got to win a conference championship before you give yourself really a chance to go on to the next step. So, um, you know, what it takes to win that is what we're focused on. And I give our guys so much credit because that 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 distraction is certainly there, you know, on what is the goal? How many wins? Uh, is it championships or bust? You know, some people have even put in, you know, um, right now, the guys literally do such a good job of focusing on the present, uh, worried about where their feet are at, um, you know, just dialed in on being the best we can be. We built that philosophy from day one, it's honestly been what's got us to where we're at today. And they saw that happen last year, uh, focusing on now and the present um, and how that all works out and the results take care of themselves. Um, that's what they're doing. And uh, we need to do that because even right off the gate with a, a Boise State in a non-conference game, we know what uh, type of program that is. And uh, we got to be ready week one. Well, Coach, uh, we do appreciate the time, and, and I have a goal for you that I'm not sure you have thought of, but this is, this is the goal. Be the answer to a trivia question. Who was the last team to win the Pac-12 before they disbanded? That, that <laughs> yeah. would be a good goal, huh? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that would be a good one. I've heard that actually kind of amongst, uh, you know, out here even the guys, the last chance to, to you know, send the, you know, as far as being a part of that Pac-12, so. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> you can put it on the shelf behind you. You have one of the nicest head coach uh, Zoom backgrounds that do. We've, we've seen with the recessed lighting and uh, the helmets and everything. It, it looks very good. Props to whoever designed that. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate that. I'm very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, so. I was going to say, it probably wasn't you, right? It was not me. And what you don't see is what even is better is I look to my left and across the stadium and I see the lake. And so... You know, if you've ever been out here, uh, oh. we got a beautiful stadium and a beautiful place to play. So very lucky. It is beautiful out there. And coach, uh, we, we appreciate the time. I know you know, had to answer some questions non-football, but this is where we are right now, landscape. But uh, you guys are set with that team. So best of luck. Look forward to watching you guys this year. Awesome. Thank you. Pleasure being on with you. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Jess, always good to uh, talk football with uh, a coach. And as we mentioned in an interview, I mean, first year, 11-2, and two, back-to-back losses, and then run off seven straight. The, the ceiling is high for him. And I love how he said at the end that some of his players were talking about what I brought up, that they could be the answer to a trivia question, the last Pac-12 champion, champion before they disband, uh, which is – where we are now, Jess, in college football, it is, it is crazy. Texas and Oklahoma to, SE, to the SEC seems like that happened five years ago. And Doesn't you still it? haven't played an SEC game Yes, yet. yes. <laughs> I mean, and, and just for anybody who's keeping score, already this year we have BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, Central Florida, Houston, those four going to the Big 12. And then next year, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, the Big 12, USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon to the Big 10. I, I, I mean, Jess, it is crazy. But as I've said, college football is college football. We have seen teams leave conferences before, and everybody went, what was me? Some of these you know, regional rivalries are over, and I get it. But at the end of the day, college campuses will be packed. College campuses, stadiums will be full. And people will just, in a year or two, just say, this is the new norm. I think that is probably true for college football. I think it is a incredibly uh, exciting on-the-field product, even when maybe you're watching two teams that you're like, why am I watching Rutgers and Washington? Right. And, but you wouldn't watch Rutgers and anyone else play anyways, because <laughs> as you know, Ruck, Rutgers is the butt of all. Uh, college football jokes. Sorry, Rutgers fans. Uh, but I think, Mike, the thing that is so crazy to me is that all of these decisions were made, it seemed like, in like a 30-minute meeting. Yes. They just decided, and there was like really no impetus for it except for this could happen or like the SEC could do this, so we have to do this. But maybe they won't, but maybe we should do this anyways. It happened so quickly, and I saw so many quote-unquote non-revenue-generating athlete, you know, sport athletes, yes. uh, tweeting about how they are basically like, what, what the hell? Like, what are we doing now? Because, like, we play our games on weeknights. We have longer seasons. You know, we don't have the luxuries that the college football teams have in terms of chartering flights and, you know, not having to go to school the day after a game, et cetera. Uh, a lot of the times, uh, but it, that to me is the craziest thing. I don't know how any of that is going to work. I've seen Muffet McGraw, the former uh, head women's basketball coach at yep. Notre Dame, wants college football teams to spin off into their yep. own league so that they can leave the rest of the sports alone. Um, and that is something that I've heard Jack Swarbrick talk about in, in interviews past as something that maybe could happen in the future. You'll have you know, college football affiliations with universities, but they won't be part of the same conference as the rest of the sports. I mean, all of this is um, really not shocking at all because, as we know, the college football conferences and university presidents see the bottom line with these television contracts, and they know that unless they're, you know, they, they have to keep up with the Joneses. They have to be able to compete at a high level, and to do that, you need to sign a contract. And all of this came down to the mismanagement of the Pac-12's oh. TV rights over the past decade and the fact that the best they could do was this Apple TV deal that would be a, subscri- a subscriber model that was only going to make the schools around 20-ish million a year plus some incentives. And that wasn't good enough for the schools, and a bunch of them left. So basically what that deal was, was the Apple deal, and this was almost agreed upon, because everybody thought it was going to be agreed upon, was going to be $23 million per team. But they, they basically, to try and sell it, said, but wait a minute, if we have 1.7 million subscriptions, it will go up to what the Big 12 is basically paying everybody, about 31, 32 million. And if it goes to 5 million subscriptions, it will be about 50 million per team. 
And while that all the numbers sounded good, they knew they were, I mean, this is the Pac-12. They weren't going to get those subscriptions. It reminded me of when I was in grade school, Jess, and I went door to door selling magazine subscriptions <laughs> to Field and Stream and Sports Illustrated <laughs> that you were going to have to have Bo Nix from Oregon make a video. Hey, Oregon alumni, you know, come buy your subscription. You know, I mean, and, and the numbers just weren't going to add up. So this is what we have in the latest now is the ACC and Stanford and Cal are going to have a call. I mean, so to go now to your point, and I brought this up when I was doing a show with, with, with Gojo, with my son, is now the travel and how these, and, and remember, all these decisions are made by the presidents, not the coaches, not the players, not the ADs, the presidents. They're the ones who basically run the NCAA. It was made by them. And you want to talk about not caring about the student athlete outside of football. This is crazy. Now, some will say, well, wait a minute. If we don't do this, we may not even be able to have these sports if we don't have a conference. So they might go away anyway. But what you have now done to them of commercial flights or bus rides that are now commercial flights and now getting back at 2, 3, 4 in the morning and going to class the next day on a regular basis is going to be crazy. And that's the first thing an ACC rep said about the possibility of Stanford and Cal going to the ACC was, man, I mean, one of the complicated things is going to be travel expenses. I mean, that's unreal. Mike, I live in Miami, and if I have to go out to the West Coast, I need like three weeks to recover yes. from that. Yeah. I, can't, like, I can't imagine being an athlete that has to do that multiple times over a season. Um, I think the only solution is we need to bring back the Concord. We need to yeah. improve <laughs> airspace travel so that you can get from – uh, the Pacific Northwest to the East Coast in two hours. That's like the, the, the only solution. Bring, bring it back. Well, let's put the money towards some, something useful. Something useful. Uh, again, I think these presidents think they're helping to save these other sports by grabbing the money and, and staying around. But I, I, I think, man, I, I, I just think those other sports don't really aren't cared about because they're not revenue De sports. Definitely this, not. <laughs> this just puts them in, a, in another. And what Muffet said is right. Now, I don't know how long that would take or how that would evolve, Jess, but this is kind of what, what I'm thinking here is football is obviously driving the ship here. And man, while the, the college football ship is still going to run straight and narrow and guys are going to travel well and they're all going to make a lot of money, man, the rest of the athletes are going to be on kind of a rudderless ship, it seems. And it seems like a, a moot point as uh, investigations have found that most schools don't even follow Title IX requirements right. anyways when it comes to college athletics. Right. And a lot of that is because, yeah, football teams are really expensive to keep around. So I think the interesting thing to see, wait and see what happens with is, is Cal and Stanford. So Cal and Stanford and Oregon State and Washington State are now like left in this weird Pac-4 limbo where either – Maybe they'll merge with the Mountain West and be called the Pac-14 or something, or yeah. maybe they will join. Like you said, there's a potential call with the ACC, which um, would be for Cal and Stanford. So Cal and Stanford have this, you know, they're kind of linked together because they're both, you know, right. big Bay, Bay Area schools with, lar you know, Stanford has a large endowment and they're very successful in, in non-football, pretty much every sport except football. They have really excellent teams there. Um, and they are both known as, you know, prestigious higher education institutions. So, you know, there may be schools in the ACC that would like the Stanford and Cal, uh, you know, agreement to be with them versus Oregon State and Washington State, which are two smaller schools, Pacific yeah. Northwest schools with smaller athletics departments. Um, and I think the bummer with those two schools is that they're both part of these historic college football rivalries, the Oregon-Oregon State game and the, the Apple Cup, the Washington State-Washington yeah. game. Um, so what will happen with them? No one knows. Maybe they'll, they'll just, the four of them will stay together. Maybe they'll break up. It is just anyone's guess, but something will obviously happen because you're not going to have a four-team four conference no, no, next no. year. <laughs> no, I think Cal, Stanford end up in the ACC. I think Oregon State, Washington State end up in the Mountain West and then wait five minutes and it'll all change again. But coming up, let's, let's, let's go to the NFL. Hard Knocks is back. Are you watching? We'll discuss next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mike, this happens every single August. I probably said it on a show with you last week, but the, call, or the NFL season and the Hall of Fame game especially, it sneaks up on you. All of a sudden, it's Thursday. You're wondering what you're going to watch on TV that night. And, oh, my God, there is a football game on NBC and suddenly I'm invested in the, you know, third round, third, third on the depth chart players yes. playing against one, one another on two teams that I, I don't really care for, the, the Jets and the Browns. So did you watch any of the Hall of Fame game? Did you watch any of the ceremony? Were I you invested listen, at all? I watched the game. Remember, I was a 10th round draft pick. And you kiddies, there was a time when the draft was more than seven rounds. It was 12. I was a 10th rounder. My son, Mike, was an undrafted free agent. So I've always been partial to the back end of a roster. And the back end of the roster guys play in these early preseason games, play in the third and fourth quarter. So, yes, I watch them and I look for guys like that who are going to stand out and then get more reps in the next practice or the next game and how they do that. And then just as far as the Hall of Fame, I mean, I, I love listening to the speeches because we all know the stats of these Hall of Famers. But I love the stories of the journey. What got them there? Who was their support group? Was it mom? Was it dad, aunt, uncle, little league coach? Who was that person that, that gave them the motivation, that drove them, that supported them, that worked three jobs so they could do what they could do? I mean, and you get all different stories about it um, from, from all the different guys that went into the Hall of Fame. I love the fact that a Chuck Howley and a Joe Klecko and a Don Coriel, two names you may not have ever known. The New York Sack Exchange. Yeah, yeah. But but some Joe names you, you may not have known. But nowadays, people can look up Chuck Howley and see what a great linebacker he was for the Cowboys and the only Super Bowl MVP on a losing team. You can see Don Coriel, who was nicknamed Eric Coriel, never got to the Super Bowl as a head coach, but changed the offense in the NFL. I mean, with, with the blueprint that he had. That Joe Klecko, you know, with the sack exchange, was the only D-lineman to make the Pro Bowl at every all three D-line position, nose tackle, D-tackle, defensive end. So I love the fact that you can learn about or people can learn about some of these guys. So I think it's awesome. And now this week, we're into the first full weekend. And the one thing I never got to experience, Jess, as a 10th rounder and a guy who probably in my nine years was – comfortable in probably four or five of them knowing I was going to be on the team and play but the other years trying to make the team I was never one of those guys where during the week the coach walked up and said hey Mike don't worry about this preseason game you're not going to play in it just go ahead and rest that, that didn't happen to me I was always had my ass out there playing in these games um, I think my, my biggest takeaway from the start of this NFL season because as we know Hard Knocks is, is coming back there with the Jets this year um, it seems like between the Hall of Fame game being the Jets and Hard Knocks being the Jets, the NFL mainstream media is trying to force me into yeah. caring about the Jets, yeah. which is something that, you know, yeah, I'm going to watch them more now than ever with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. But I want to see some results first before I jump on the Jets bandwagon for this season. I'm not just going to be like, yeah, this, this is they're great. They're in one of the toughest divisions, Mike, with the, yes, they the, are. the Dolphins and the Bills and, and the Patriots even. Um, but I, I can't I can't tolerate this much Jets talk this early in the season. It's not it's not doing it for me. Have you, are you going to watch Hard Knocks? Uh, you know, I started to back off of it a little bit, Jess, because I just haven't found it as compelling. And now there's going to be less access saying they're not going to be there, you know, show guys that are getting cut. And I mean, to me, that's the whole part of doing shows like this is showing the, 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 the behind the curtain. And sometimes, you know, there's an ugly side of behind the curtain. There just is. That's that's the reality of this. So I've watched it less and less. I, I certainly will. I didn't watch it each week in time last year for Detroit, but I ended up watching it all over a period of time. And obviously, like everybody else, just you fell in love with Dan Campbell and that whole situation. But you're right. We'll see who the personalities are. They're going to want it to be, you know, Aaron Rodgers. They're going to want it to be Sauce Gardner. They're going to want it to be Quinn Williams. But who else will it be? What, what other guys uh, will it be? And you met, you're right about their schedule. I mean, think of their schedule out of the gate. Buffalo, Dallas, New England, Kansas City. 
I mean, then they have Denver and Philly before a bye week. But those are some tough games right out of the gate uh, for this team. So, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. But it did also make me think back to some of the other uh, uh, um, hard knocks years. And quite honestly, the best year to me, I think, was the first year. It was the Baltimore Ravens coming off the Super Bowl, and then they were on hard knocks. And that was the one where the rookie show, they did the imitation of Shannon Sharp and Ray Lewis. It was one of the funniest things I had ever seen. And that team, as anybody remembers, had so many personalities on it. So to me, that was one of the better ones. So I hope it kind of revives a little bit, but I'm not sure what to expect since access is going to be a little bit limited. I agree with you. And since you mentioned Sports Illustrated magazines earlier, I think I would be most interested if they asked Sauce Gardner why he did the cover shoot for Sports Illustrated where he had like barbecue sauce on his hand. Did you ever, did you see that cover, Mike? It was. No. Oh my God. Okay. I think Gojo was all over this. It was so disturbing. It looked like a, a weird, like brownish, reddish liquid on his fingers. And it, it was one of the most unsettling Sports Illustrated covers I've ever seen. So I would like to see him in the confessional or, or in an interview being asked why he agreed for uh, that artistic interpretation of his nickname because it was so weird. Oh, I'm going to have to look at that. I, I, I did not see it. Um, so I will definitely check that out. But A low light know, of the offseason for me. I, I am looking forward to, again, we have the Thursday game is – up first, and then you got a full slate going on this weekend. Is there anything, you know, in the few seconds we have left that you're looking for in week one? Probably your Steelers, right? Well, my Steelers, I think I, I'm, I'm starting to get back into, like, my fantasy football uh, research mode right now as the season slowly approaches. And the more I think about the Steelers, the more I'm excited and yet very, very nervous because of some of – some of the changes they've made to the, to the roster are very good, but one key change to the coaching staff, I think, may, may hold them back. I just sent you the Sauce Gardner cover. Um, take, take a look. I, I am going to take a look. I am definitely going to take a look, and I will report back to you what I think. The bottom line to me this week, as we get ready for the first round of preseason games, the most important thing after every play, players get up off the ground and nobody gets injured. I know that somebody will, but that's the biggest hope uh, in the talk to y'all next week.